In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. We deliver tickets, team merchandise, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. Welcome to the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast, where we're a little more than a week away from the start of NBA training camps. I'm Chris Harrington, and one of my favorite get ready for the season reads each summer is the Sports Illustrated annual list of the 100 best players in the NBA, the SI 100. I'm joined this week by the man who this year wrote every word of that piece, I believe, a first time guest on this particular podcast, but someone I've welcomed on at previous stops. It's Rob Mahoney. What's up, Rob? Just trying to recover, Chris. Get ready for this thing. But uh, but I'm eager to talk some Grizzlies Grizzlies with you today. Cool. So you, as I said, like it's, it is one of my favorite reads every summer, and that's because it's a good read. It's not just a list. I know you spend a lot of time agonizing over who's 47 versus who's 48. But to me, what's good about it is it's an avenue for you to write about 100-plus players, and you write about them really well. And so I appreciate that you put the effort not not just into making a ranking, but into making something that, that, that that's, a, that's a pleasure to read as well. I appreciate that. I mean, and they're not mutually exclusive processes either. I mean, right. Of course, and if you're trying to figure out what to write about D'Angelo Russell, you're going to have to think pretty hard about what D'Angelo's game looks like and the shape of it and where it fits into a league context. And so... Naturally, I mean, I, I would hope that if you're writing about a player, you're thinking about their relative value and vice versa. No, I, I think that's a great point. That's something I, that I that I say from time when I used to be a film critic in a previous life. People would ask me, "What do you think about so and so movie?" And I would often say, "I don't know. I haven't written about it yet." Um, because the, the process of the writing and the thinking in order to write is sometimes where I figure out what I thought about something. Right? No, absolutely. Okay, so in terms of the Grizzlies, not a surprise that they do not figure prominently on this on, on this year's list, but the good news is that when this list came out, I guess a couple weeks ago, Grizzlies fans did not have to wait long to see their entrance. Um, they did not have to wait for the for the top 10, top 20. So you have three Grizzlies players in the top 100, three as of today Grizzlies players in the top 100. But you also have one, you did a, a list of, I think, 25 sort of omissions or snubs. And you know, there's one Grizzlies player there, and I was honestly surprised to see him even there. You had you had Kyle Anderson, who coming off a pretty serious shoulder injury and surgery. Um, everyone says he'll be ready, f- you know, full go beginning to training camp. We haven't seen that yet. Uh, I was a little surprised you even had him in the honorable mentions list. Yeah, I mean, Anderson is a tough guy to rank. In particular, these players who are, are great team players in a lot of respects, good team defender. Uh, obviously a good ball mover, a guy who kind of greases the wheels for your offense in a lot of ways, but also has very significant flaws. Those are some of the players that are most difficult to rank over the back half of the list where you start getting into more specialization, more one-note kinds of players, guys with sometimes very defined strengths, and really the versatility starts kind of falling out of the ranking. And so Anderson is a guy who, you know, in making our list last year, he was on it. I think he was in the late 80s, I want to say 88 on our list last year. And so we obviously have a lot of respect for his game and what he does well. Uh, but between, yeah, the injury and the fit issues, he w- wasn't really in the mix so much this year. And then he's just a, 
a very tough guy to rank overall, but someone I wanted to make sure we noted, both because he was a previous inclusion and because he's a guy who instinctively fans may not think of as a top 100 type player, but has a, you know, a similar value to a lot of the other guys that I was considering for the list. Well, Anderson is interesting to me because he got hurt, and while he's been hurt, literally everything has changed. I mean, he, he was signed by one front office to play for one coach on a team that was trying to win with Mike Conley and Marcus All, and they had a certain idea of how he was going to be used in that context, and honestly, even then, they never quite figured it out. But then he got hurt, and now he's coming back to a team that has a different front office, a different head coach, and a totally different roster around him, and it's it's even harder for me to see how, how he quite fits. I, mean, I think his playmaking is something that on this team they, they have less of now. I'm mean, certainly downgraded in the front court from Marcus All, you know, to Jonas Valanciunas in terms of ball handling playmaking. And you have this rookie point guard who seems to have sort of preternatural like playmaking skills, but is still a rookie. And so maybe Anderson's ability on the ball is helpful, but I still have a hard time seeing it quite how they get to that. He, 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 he's a, just such an odd player. He really is. And I think that's the, you know, in terms of making this list, trying to evaluate players in a vacuum without too much regard for their current team context. And yet with Anderson, the question of its fits with any kind of team are up in the air. You know, it it really almost doesn't matter what kind of players you put around him because the shot is still going to be an issue or the lack thereof. And the the stuff like the connecting playmaking is still going to be a strength. And yet, you know, he's almost such an aggressive non-scorer when you're talking about a guy who shoots so infrequently even per minute. You know, it's not even a matter of his playing time. And those guys are just very difficult to place in the league, no matter what kind of team you're looking at. And in particular, when you're talking about a really young team, like what the Grizzlies are going to be this year. Well, I mean, this sort of issue of, of you know, for when you, once you get into role players, like value sometimes being contextual in terms of their, with the team they're on and how they're used, you sort of, that's what applies to two of the other three Grizzlies players on the list. And I'll sort of go from the, work from the from the end up. But you you have Jonas Valanciunas at eighty eight. Um you say that he 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 prefers hand to hand combat, which I think is is well put. I, that that is certainly what endeared him to Grizzlies fans immediately. You could you could hear the 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 thwack of the picks he set like around the arena. Um but he he's like this super productive traditional big man who's also limited in sort of a lot of ways. Um I mean, you, I, what I sort of get out of what you wrote, which I think I agree with, is that he's sort of a floor raiser, but maybe a, maybe lowers the ceiling a little bit. And maybe for a young team with so much uncertainty, he sort of helps provide a little bit of a competitive floor night to night. But as the team gets better, you don't know where the future lies. There's a reason why he's a role player in Toronto and a, a go-to guy in Memphis, right? Yeah, and I think a reason why you know switching from him to Marc Gasol was such a meaningful thing for them, where you saw what Gasol was able to do across four very different playoff series for a team like the Raptors, whereas Valanciunas is who he is. Like he, he has a very static role, a very static uh, kind of capacity to impact a game. And if you change the parameters of that game, if you make him more perimeter-oriented, if you stretch him out, if you string him out in space, then all of a sudden a lot of that stuff is a little bit more suspect. And he's always going to be a guy who can bully his way to score, who's going to pull down a ton of rebounds. He's a great box score player in a lot of ways. If if that's kind of the way you enter the world of basketball, evaluating players to the box score, you're going to look very good. But his actual impact on a game is a little bit more complicated. I think the floor ceiling thing with him is very real and I think very helpful for the Grizzlies, as you mentioned. I mean, this is a team that when when you are trying to take your first steps with good young talent, 
you want as much stability around them as possible. You want as much predictability around them as possible. And I think Valanciunas is both of those things in good ways and bad. Well, one question, and we we only saw it for two games last season before injuries happened. Um, I'm going to skip over one guy, one name on your list to to the highest ranked Grizzly you have, which is Jaron Jackson Jr. at 82. I mean, I, it looks like the starting front court for the Grizzlies is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas, and so there's a little bit of a question of like how they fit together. It seems like the the a lot of the quote unquote smart thought around the league, at least in NBA media, is that Jaron Jackson Jr. needs to be a center. You didn't you weren't you didn't quite delve into that in your write up, but where are you with that in terms of where he should be positionally? I mean, personally, I kind of favor bigs who are in that spot where he is, where you have the flexibility of both options. I think he has he's shown enough kind of precociousness on the perimeter where you could you could mess with those parts of his game and try to expand them out and flesh them out and see what he can do in that regard. You know, I think you would want to see can be a little bit more of a, a connecting playmaker, for example, a guy who can help your offense flow if that's where he's going to be stationed on the floor, if you're going to play him with another traditional big. But I like the optionality of it. And I think his defense is you know, what theoretically makes that possible. The idea that this guy can cover space so well that you could play him with a lot of different kinds of teammates, a lot of different kinds of bigs, and he could still be pretty successful. I think you know he has just enough range to his game to really put those things up in the air. And if you're a team like the Grizzlies, I mean, in some ways you want to be building around a player like Jaron Jackson Jr. Obviously he's an incredible talent. looks like he's going to be a really good player for a long time, but what he gives you, it's the flexibility to go after lots of other, you know, other kinds of talent in the future. So I almost wouldn't want to box him in, in that way and say, we're definitely developing him along this one track to play this one position. And it's more about, if we just kind of, you know, build out J- uh, Jaron's game more roundly, what does that do for us in the future? And, and whether that's getting another center down the line or another four or a stretch four down the line, I like that kind of optionality. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir with me. I, I, what, that's what I said last year when this question would come up. Like the question of who is the best player to fit next to Jaron, best type of player to fit next to Jaron Jackson Jr. in a front court. And, and to me, the answer may not be one person. It may be having the option to l- – let his let his versatility provide you with different looks. And to me, you could almost look at the Toronto situation, you know, before that trade where where Valanciunas was sort of a platoon player at center and say could they could go for different looks. And I could see a kind of platoon situation over time with whoever is next to Jaron Jackson Jr., where you could go big with a Valanciunas or Valanciunas type. Or maybe you're going smaller with like who knows well that maybe it's Brandon Clark or maybe it's someone's player yet to be determined who's more stretchy you know theoretical Bruno Caboclo or whatever. But the idea that you don't have to have one player who is the sidekick to Jaron Jackson Jr. but he allows you to sort of play with different lineups not just now but like forever. Well, I think we've seen too in the playoffs that that's kind of the way you survive. That right. When you're going from you know playing against all these different, these wildly different strategic styles and, and rosters that you're going to see over the course of a long playoff run, you need that. You need the ability to give different looks, to withstand different kinds of attacks, and show different kinds of coverages, or else someone's going to figure you out. And so if 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 Jaren's the kind of player who can unlock that, who can keep you a little more uh, nimble strategically. I think that's a great thing for the Grizzlies long term. Well, the the other rationale I think for easing him into 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 a center role is he just turned twenty like last week or this week, sometime soon, recently, and he's still growing into his body. And his biggest weakness last year may have been, unsurprisingly, may have been foul rate. He's still very foul prone. We're gonna take a break now for a message from our sponsor. 
The Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast is brought to you by FedEx. Possibilities. What we deliver by delivering. So you have a 20-year-old big who is not fully physically developed, who's prone to fouls a lot. It seems like maybe that's a guy you don't want banging with Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic all the time quite yet. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's really no need to rush these things. Right. I know it seems like they accelerate quickly, that you really want to get guys locked into the position so you can move on to the next thing. And Jaron is safe enough as a prospect that he gives you that luxury in some ways. But again, he's so young. He's, he's still so raw in a lot of aspects of his game for his, for his talent that he is across the board. There really isn't any need to push him to be any one thing just yet, but to kind of enjoy you know, all, all of the, the world of possibility of, of the player he could be. And yet you had him at 82 on this list. You had DeAndre Ayton, who had drafted above him. Like two guys drafted above him, Andre um, DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley. Ayton finished above him in the rookie of the year race. I think Bagley was one spot lower. Both had arguably more productive rookie seasons from a strictly, you know, points and rebounds, you know, box score standpoint. But you had Jackson at 82. You had Ayton and Bagley sort of knocking on the door. Why are you so much higher, at least for now, on Jaron Jackson Jr.? I think he's he's a little bit more in touch with kind of the modernity of the game and, and where it's going and what you need to be able to do to be effective, where he isn't as purely productive. I mean, Aiden had an incredibly productive rookie season, historically speaking. Uh, Bagley, I think, was impressing me more than I thought he would, frankly. I wasn't quite sure what his game was going to look like. I don't watch a lot of college basketball. I focus solely on the pros. And so from talking to scouts, talking to people, I was a little bit skeptical of, of kind of the player he might be, but I was actually came out really impressed with him. I think both of those guys are probably going to be top 100 players next year. But Jackson, I think you, you mentioned that you know his foul troubles, and that's a very real thing. But you also see just something really special on the defensive highlights. You know, he's not a consistent team defender in the way that he's going to anchor a top five or a top defense, top 10 defense just yet. But the way he covers ground, the way he's able to assess multiple threats at once, manage multiple opponents who are in scoring positions, there's some things he does on a court in, in that regard in terms of kind of thinking the game that is just way ahead of, of where he should be. And that's the kind of thing that gets you really excited to kind of chart his progress and see what could become of that. Uh, and I think that combined with a guy who had some, some pretty flexible offensive skill who can handle a little bit, who has shown you some capacity to do that, who can stretch out the floor if he needs to. And, and we'll see kind of how his shot holds up and, and, and develops. But I think his, his game really does just kind of suit the modern style a little bit better than either of those other young bigs. And as we talked about, I mean, if we're talking about how you build teams in a vacuum around these players, and Jackson has that kind of team-building flexibility. I think that's kind of another feather in his cap relative to two other guys who have to play pretty traditionally, I think. The other um, Grizzly, at the, for the moment, you have on the list, you have Andre Iguodala at number 86. You you call him, a and I, and I quote, a magnificent grouch, um, which I thought was a pretty great description. Uh, I'll let you elaborate. What do you mean by Andre Iguodala as a magnificent grouch? I mean, Iguodala is another very tough player to place on this list because so much of who he is and how he plays depends on kind of his mood and his quality of life and how he, what he thinks of the locker room that he's in. And we saw with the Warriors where, I mean, by all accounts, for all of their problems, a, a pretty mature locker room, a team that's taking things very seriously that, you know, whatever you may think of Kevin Durant as a person or as an influence on a locker room, uh, that, that guy's approach is, is pretty much... Uh, 
unquestionable. And, and you know, obviously with Steph Curry there and Draymond Green, there's a, there's a really high level of, you know, a high competitive bar, a high level of professionalism across that group. But you take Andre Iguodala and you put him on a team that doesn't really know what it's doing yet. And you wonder if his patience might be stretched a little thin. He's a guy who can be a little ornery, even under the best of circumstances. And so it's hard to know exactly who he's going to be and what kind of influence he would be on a team that's in a dramatically different place from the Warriors, for instance. Well, I mean, there seems to be this three-way game of chicken sort of going on right now between the Grizzlies, Iguodala slash his agent, and other teams interested in having Iguodala on their roster. Um, You know, the Grizzlies obviously seem – pretty adamant about trying to get value for him, even though they got value to take him on in the first place. Um, and so it seems at this point, like maybe they'll carry him onto the roster into the season as someone who could get traded, you know, December, December 15th, more players are, are, are open um, to be traded. Maybe that opens up possibilities that aren't there right now. Maybe injuries happen in season that pressed that puts pressure on teams. Like it, it is possible that deals not on the table now may be, get, become possible into the season. I don't think that's a guarantee, but like it could be. And so that's one thing, but you don't have to bring him into training camp and put him on the active roster and put a Grizzlies uniform on him to keep him on the roster as a potential trade piece. Do you think it would be productive for the Grizzlies given the situation they're in to try to bring him, force him into training camp and into the active roster? I think they would probably be better in touch with that decision given right. their conversations with him. I mean, it's it's hard. I haven't you know been keeping too close tabs on how Andre is feeling about all that and, and whether he would want to be in that situation or not. I mean, he's he's kind of been in a place over the last couple of years where the regular season is a little bit perfunctory for him as it is. Uh, so would he really want to kind of embrace a different kind of role on a right. different kind of team, let, even let me knowing re- that he let, would be out? Let me rephrase it to put it in, put you in a less tough spot. Yeah. Um, if their desire is to trade him at some point, would would Andre Iguodala playing basketball in October and November have any positive impact on his trade value, do you think? I think probably not, um, just because Andre is kind of already uh, proven. I think in, in terms of how he's going to pace himself in the regular season versus what he could do for you over a 36, you know, 30 to 40 minute stretch of a playoff game. We already know kind of who those two players are and how different they are. And yes, maybe he would come out and want to show teams a look. I am someone worth trading for. I'm still someone who can really help your team. But I think fundamentally, we're all kind of aware of who he is and what he can do. And and that's why so many teams are interested in him, if interested in a way where they don't quite want to convey that interest with you know, picks or whatever it is that the Grizzlies are looking for. Yeah, I just I just don't think teams that are interested in Andre Iguodala need to be persuaded to be interested in Andre Iguodala. And so to me, there's only, and this is my opinion, to me, there's only downside. Like if he gets hurt or he has some injury or whatever, like to me, nothing, he's not going to do anything that's going to help his trade value in the first half of this season. And to me, if you're the Grizzlies and you're a rebuilding situation, and A, there's the distraction element of him not wanting to be there probably, because that seems to be the case. Yeah. But there's also, like, you already have Jay Crowder, like, you know, who a good, solid veteran, locker room guy, whatever, soaking up minutes. You, why do you want two veteran players who are not part of the long-term future soaking up minutes that you probably need to be giving to Dylan Brooks coming off an injury, Kyle Anderson coming off an injury, Marco Gadurich, DeAnthony Melton, Grayson Allen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's what. That's why I just don't see the logic, and I, and they, they may just be that they're posturing, but I don't see the logic in trying to get him into training camp. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I think you're touching on a larger issue with the Grizzlies, which is just they have a lot of guys. Right. They have a lot of guys that they're trying to figure out, that they're trying to assess, whether it's, you know, the veteran group like the Jay Crowders or whether it's, you know, you're trying to figure out who Josh Jackson is. Right. He can help this team. Uh, there's a lot of things that the Grizzlies need to kind of see in real time, in real game action, in order to fully evaluate. And Diego Dalla does complicate that in a lot of ways, where – on the one hand, you would love to see him out on the floor with young players because I think he can make their life a lot easier. He can show them a lot of what it means to be very good in the NBA, to to really comprehend the game as cerebrally as he does. I think he could be very instructive to have on the floor, but he's also, you know, the plan is not for him to stay around. Right. And therefore, the influence that he has is pretty ephemeral. It is, you know, you really need to kind of build relationships in order to be any kind of mentor. And so I don't, I don't know what you could really expect him to be other than someone who's trying to prove his trade value, which, as you mentioned, no team really needs to be persuaded of at this point. Um, put you on, I'm going to put you on the spot about a group of guys who have played in the NBA but probably would not have made your top 300 list. In terms of who you think is likely to be an NBA rotation player two years from now, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, Grayson Allen, Josh Jackson, who, who, would, you, who would you bet on? I think I might bet on Grayson Allen, honestly. Okay. Um, there's just a little bit of dynamism there that I think, as you know, if you're evaluating talent, if you're looking for things that could pop, I think he could be one of those guys. I'm, I'm you know, I, I think there's, which are you said it was Dylan Brooks, Josh Jackson, who was the other person? Oh, and Melton. Um, I think within that other group, there's a range of a little bit of blah, honestly, that right. doesn't terribly excite me. Guys who we've, you know, we kind of see them go through some reps in some cases, some guys who, who need more opportunities than others. But I think Allen is the one of that group who could be demonstrably different than the player we've seen. And the player we've seen, frankly, has had good stretches and has some, shown some promise. I think it's just a matter of kind of putting it all together, um, being a more reliable you know player to really crack a rotation in a meaningful sense. But I think I would probably lean out. His summer league was not was not promising, but but, but I'm, I'm I'm interested to hear you hear you say that. That's not that's not the name I thought you were you were going to give me. Um, Where would you go out of curiosity? I sort of think maybe Anthony Melton. I feel like he was miscast as a point guard in Phoenix. He's six four, six nine wingspan, very high steal deflection rates, bad off the dribble, but pretty good catch and shoot guy last year. So I, I think there may be a path to playing time for him as an off guard. Yeah, I, don't know. I could see that. I mean, Melton definitely has a lot of fans among the scouting core of the NBA. Right. So a lot of people holding out hope that he's going to be pretty good. All right, I'll give you a couple quick ones, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, you, you did not include rookies on the top 100. Was it tempting to put Zion Williamson on there? <laughs> there, were, there were conversations internally about, uh, at Sports Illustrated. We should break that rule specifically for right. Zion this year, but I held firm. Right. Uh, mostly because I have no idea how to evaluate Zion Williamson yet. So maybe it's just protecting myself, but uh, it, I mean, it certainly came up. Um, you have any feelings on John Morant? You mentioned that you don't watch a lot of college ball, and he, he did not play summer league, so no one's really seen him outside of a college context, context yet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's only been some kind of preliminary film scouting and then talking to other people and trying to see kind of where they think he is. But, I mean, part of the fun of the early season and the preseason for me is kind of getting to know some of these summer league guys, some of these uh, first-year guys who didn't play in summer league or had limited time in summer league for whatever reason. So I'm really eager to, to get to know this game more, but I, I don't know a lot about him firsthand just yet. So of players that did not make your top 10 but are, I believe, all under 25 years old, um, Carl Anthony Towns, Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakam, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, all those guys in the top 30. 
um, Darren Fox, Devin Booker, Trey Young, Chris Tapsporzinga, sort of outside of that group. Who is most likely to be in the top 10 on this list a year from now, you think? Is it Towns who you had at 13, or you think it's more likely a Ben Simmons or a Luka Doncic or someone like that jumps up? I think it's probably Towns. And some of it's because his game is already there in a lot of ways. You know, the versatility, the production. I mean, this is one of the most magnificent offensive talents we've ever seen in a big man. And he's already, you know, doing a lot of great things. It just hasn't quite translated to a lot of team success just yet. There's still some questions about you know, whether he's really built to whether some of the challenges that come, come with being a franchise player, some, you know, you really have to withstand a lot if you're going to be the best player on a team. And so there's some of those more kind of intangible questions, but I think in terms of the, the raw production, in terms of the impact he can have on a game, a lot of that stuff is already there versus the other players, uh, the other young guys, I mean, Ben Simmons in particular, I think is probably the best talent among those other guys, but there's still such a big question surrounding his shooting and the fit, the fit that that, uh, the chafing along with fit that comes with that. I mean, I, I think you can maybe see Luka Doncic in that group long term, but I think Towns is probably ahead of him on the curve. All right. I appreciate it, Rob. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I recommend everyone out there, anyone listening to this cares about the NBA, and they should all go read every word of your SI 100, is what I think they should do. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. I, I heartily agree. I mean, please validate all this time that went into writing it. Right. Um, for Rob, I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Miffy and Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OEM Network and Gil Worth. You can subscribe to the site at dailymiffian.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Miffian. And you can get this um, podcast and all of the rest of our pods wherever you get your audio, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community. The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.